When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 405 of Sustainable Minimalists. Welcome to Difficult Decisions Week on the podcast. Oh my goodness. On today's show, I'm bringing you a conversation with two listeners who are considering climate change when family planning. Now, because it's Difficult Decisions Week, on Thursday's episode, I'm bringing you a conversation with two more listeners who moved. So they are climate migrators. They moved because of climate change. Now back to today's episode. The decision to have children is a profoundly personal and emotional choice, is it not? The decision often demands that we weigh multiple factors simultaneously. Our religion, our finances, our maturity, our access to childcare, I could go on and on. And for an increasing number of prospective parents, climate change is another factor. Some people are choosing not to have children because they fear that doing so will amplify global warming. Others are concerned about the extreme weather events that their child or children will have to endure, especially with the UN, the United Nations, warning us that we are in, quote, code red for humanity. And so today I'm introducing you to two members of our sustainable minimalist community. They're longtime listeners, and they graciously volunteered to come on and get vulnerable and talk about the ways in which climate change factors into their family planning. Callie is a transplant to the Midwest from the West Coast. She is leaning towards the child-free path. And Amanda was born and raised in the Midwest. She and her partner made the intentional decision to have one and only one child. Now, it is disclaimer time. You knew a disclaimer was coming. I have no desire whatsoever to be part of your family planning. And I'm 100% sure that Callie and Amanda do not either. I know that babies and family sizes, these can become combative topics. And so I want to be 100% clear at the outset. This is not a prescriptive episode. No one is telling you what to do. No one is even suggesting what you should do. I have only one goal today, and that goal is to amplify the voices of two women who considered climate change when determining the sizes of their own families. So one more time with the disclaimer, you know what's best for you. Amanda and Callie, I'm so thrilled to have you on the show. How are you? I'm really well. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, same. I'm just really excited. I've been a long time listener of your podcast, so this is really cool that I get to participate. Well, again, thank you guys for coming on to discuss your personal family planning behind the scenes. Let me just start by telling you 
and everybody listening about my family planning, which was non-existent. There was no planning involved. It was as simple as 10 years ago, I was turning 30. All my peers were having children. My husband and I financially felt like we could add a child to our little family. We had gotten a dog and we had weathered that storm. We were mature enough to handle a dog. So we thought, why the heck not? Let's do what everybody else is doing and have a child. That was the family planning that occurred. I say all that to say that I love my children. I would not change anything. They are the best parts of my life. However, if I knew then what I knew now, there definitely would have been more of the planning piece, more of the consideration. My husband and I were completely unintentional with the children. We literally did what everybody else in our peer group was doing. And so I just want to commend both of you at the outset for considering the multitude of factors that go into having a family, right? And so, Kelly, let's start with you. Your friends and peers are settling down and having children. What is that like? Are you feeling pressure? And if so, from what, from whom? Talk to me about it. Yeah, there's so much pressure. So actually, it's crazy. My husband and I, we were the first ones married in our circle. So we've had this pressure for a solid five years. <laughs> and everyone else has caught up to us. And now they've lapped us in the, the life, the traditional life plan. But yeah, I think a lot of the people in my life are very respectful and supportive, although I haven't really gone into detail with them why we're on the fence about having kids, because my biggest fear is, you know, offending anyone or making anyone feel like their choice wasn't the right choice for them. But I definitely do have a lot of grandparent pressure and just family pressure. They like us and they think we'd be good parents. And I love the compliment, but I just, I'm not sure if that's the right path for us. And your partner, where do they fall on this topic? They actually align with me really well. So we've always been on the fence about kids. And that was our original intent when we uh, decided to get married. And we've never really changed from that. We've talked about it multiple times, but our decision hasn't really shifted at this point. It's really hard, I can imagine, because when I got married, there was a couple of years there where we were newlyweds and we were not thinking about children. And the pressure from the grandparents, just the grandparents alone, was so heavy because what do you do after you get married? You have a child. We have a child, right? And so, Amanda, you're on a different side of the coin. You have one child, and I believe you're stopping at one. Correct me if I'm wrong, but what factors played into you and your partner's decision to have one child? To start off, I grew up as an only child to a single mother and had a less than ideal childhood experience. So I never thought that I would be a mother myself. It just wasn't something that I desired. And then when I started dating my husband, I met my person that kind of made me feel like, I think I could do this with you. I think we would be good together. And after we got married, you know, we briefly thought about adoption, but then got overwhelmed with that process. So then after eight years together, three years married, we like made the conscious decision to try making a baby. So we thought like we made like this whole, we're scientists. So we like the data part of spreadsheets and making lists 
We came to the conclusion that we have good DNA and good life skills. We have a stable home and finances, and we have an opportunity and desire to create a kind, compassionate, and critically thinking human. And we still have that optimism that the world is a good place and it's safe and okay to bring another person into the world. Hmm. So I know this is a really hard thing to quantify, but if you could give a percentage, so the decision, all the factors that went into the one child decision, what percentage of that decision would you say was due to climate concerns? That is hard to quantify. It was like all the decisions were equal, I feel. So climate change had an equal weight as postpartum depression, as finances, as we have a small house and we don't have another bedroom and we don't want to buy another car. You know, So like all of those are also climate change factors. Like if we needed a bigger house, we would have to have more to heat it and more carbon emissions just to exist. Well, the point you're both making here that I really want to highlight today is that in the 21st century, we are considering the climate as one of the many factors that go into the family planning discussion. I don't think my parents in 1984, when they were thinking about having me, their daughter, I don't think they were thinking about whether the planet would be inhabitable for a baby come 50 years from now, right? And so the fact that we're having it is really the special sauce that I want to highlight today. Now, Amanda, you said you are a scientist. You and your partner are both scientists. And the math here is completely overwhelming. If we want to reduce our carbon footprint substantially, like get the biggest bang for your buck, it's having fewer children. Now, there are a lot of numbers out there, but one set of numbers that I read in preparing for this interview was that when we consciously decide to have one less child, we are reducing our emissions by approximately 60 metric tons per year. I'm wondering, Callie, these numbers, 60 metric tons a year you can reduce from your carbon footprint by having one fewer child do those numbers mean anything to you or are your concerns about having children more emotion-based? Oh, yeah. No, those numbers mean everything to me. I am a former educator and taught environmental science at the high school level for a few years. And that was my favorite unit actually to teach my 11th and 12th graders was about how many resources we're consuming. And when you look at the global usage of resources and talk about developed nations versus developing nations and how much we're using, talking about diapers and how many diapers you go through and just, yeah, the impact of raising a kid on this planet for someone like me who... Being a mom has not always been something I identified as. Like I've never even considered that as part of my personal identity. Those numbers are definitely a really important piece of swaying my decision. Yeah, those numbers really hit to the moral obligation question here, right? Do we have a moral obligation to think critically about having more children? thanks to the state of the planet, right? Is it ethical to add another child to this planet 
when having a child in the developed part of the world is more environmentally expensive. Having a child in the USA is different from having a child in a developing country, let's say. Their carbon emissions, annual and lifetime, are much higher here in the developed world. And that's just a sad fact. But when we're talking about ethics, there's another side to the coin. And that is, is it ethical to bring a child into a world that is rapidly warming, right? Is it morally okay for the child? And I must say here, my husband and I, we went out to dinner, what was it, over the weekend, two nights ago. And this was such a deep conversation for my husband and I to have on our date night out. But if I had a child tomorrow... The average lifespan of a human being is 76 years, 76 plus 23, because it's 2023. My theoretical child would live until about the year 2100. And if you believe the climate scientists, and I believe in science, is it ethical to bring a child into a world with such an uncertain future? Kelly, I know you're on the fence here. How do you tackle that question when making big decisions about having children or not? Yeah. Um, you know, it's hard for me, this idea that the ethical piece of it, like I feel like the advice that I've gotten from very well intended advice, people giving me their opinion when I've decided that, or I've told them that I might be child-free. What about when you're older? What about friends? You're not going to have any friends who's going to take care of you. You're not fulfilling your biological purpose. And I don't know if any of those reasons are super ethical to begin with. So I really struggle with that piece. And I also know in America, you know, I told you I'm from uh, originally the West Coast, so a lot hotter than where I am now in the Midwest. The effects of global warming are really hard to see when you live your life in air conditioning. Like I'm from the desert and you really, unless you choose to be outdoors in the summer, you don't see how hot it really is when you're going from a climate-controlled house to a climate-controlled car to a climate-controlled job. So I feel like it's a lot harder to really put that in perspective because you can hear scientists, and I believe in science as well, being a science educator. But it's another thing when you're trying to live it and then you have all these accommodations that are like helping overcome what we're expecting life to be like. It's a really hard spot to be in. And I don't know if me deciding to have children or not comes down to the ethical of bringing them into this world. I just think in general, I'm not sure if the reasons are strong enough for me to want to do that. Yeah. I'm wondering about what the critics would say if they're listening to our conversation. I've heard it said before that intentionally choosing to have children and intentionally raising children to be stewards of the planet is a profoundly environmental act, right? Raising children to become stewards of the planet could do some serious good. Amanda, what's your response to that as someone with one child? We need people who are child-free and we need people who are intentionally raising children. So I think that this is not a yes or no answer. It's like we need children growing up in safe, supportive homes to become those well-adjusted, intelligent adults that can do that positive work. But I also feel like the number of children that are being born need to be decreased. We are hoping to foster in the future 
So just because you are child free doesn't mean you are childless. Like you can, there are still lots of children born on this planet that need loving adults in their lives. So there's seems to be unlimited opportunities for adults to do after school programs or get involved in children's lives and enrich them so that they can be those critically thinking adjusted adults that can also help with a warming world. That is an excellent point. And I want to talk to you both about the uncertainty about the future, because I think that the uncertainty piece is really where things get tricky. So we're going to take our break. And then when we come back, I want to talk to you about how you navigate the uncertainty surrounding a warming future and potentially bringing a child into this future. So we'll do that after a quick sponsor break. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love. Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. And we're back. Today I'm speaking with Callie and Amanda. Both are listeners of the show. And this week on the podcast, we're discussing difficult decisions. According to a 2021 Pew Research Center survey of childless adults, 5% of those cited climate change and the environment. So 5%, not a huge percentage. However, a growing percentage. And we're amplifying those voices today. As a quick reminder, on Thursday's episode, we're discussing moving due to climate change concerns, another roundtable discussion in which I'm speaking to two more listeners who have either moved or are considering a move due to climate change. Difficult decisions we have to make here in 2023. 
And it seems to me that one of the biggest issues here is the uncertainty. We don't know what a global warming future is going to look like. Nobody does. The scientists can predict up the wazoo. However, this summer was full of weather disasters, and they're happening sooner, they're happening more frequently, and they're happening with greater intensity than the scientists predicted. And so the uncertainty here is really hard to navigate. And so I think about this a lot. However, I also think that for my children living here in America, we have privilege, right? My children likely will be able to handle a warming world, the consequences of a warming world, fairly well, again, because we have the air conditioning, right? We can get up and move. That's not great that we have privilege and so much of the rest of the world does not. But with regard to the uncertainty piece, because of the privilege that we have, the uncertainty is minimized. And so I guess, Amanda, I'll throw this out for you. Does uncertainty add to your decision to say one child is plenty or it doesn't even come into your thoughts? It comes into my thoughts. I am an anxious person and I worry about everything. Yes. Callie, same question. How does the uncertainty about what exactly the future will look like, how does that play into your decisions with regard to having children? Yeah, well, I think you hit it a little bit earlier. Being from a developed nation, we have a privilege, right? And we have the ability to negate a lot of some of the the worst effects. Like you said, people can move, people have air conditioning, we have the resources that we can do different things where folks in developing nations don't have that. And so I feel like it's actually probably a stronger reason for me that I feel like it's my, not responsibility, but it's really important that I make a sound decision with my partner on this because the impact that my kid could have would be so bigger or so much bigger than the impact of someone from a less or a developing nation. And so I think that the privilege piece is really important to remember. And the uncertainty, I don't know, I believe the climate scientists, I don't think we're going to go extinct within my kid's lifetime, but I think life could be tremendously um, harder. And I don't know if I could handle that. I don't want to call it guilt, but that knowledge, knowing that I had the choice, that's really hard for me to navigate. Yeah, something you said there really hit me. And it's that, you know, Life is really hard. (laughs) Taking climate change out of it, just the day-to-day living is really difficult. And so I don't want it to be any harder (laughs) for my children, right? No parent wants their child to struggle or suffer. And so I'm wondering whether struggling and suffering will be magnified in the coming decades, thanks to climate change. And again, we just don't know. But again, if we're to believe science, the answer is, of course, yes. And so that brings me, I would say, to perhaps my most important question today, which is that it seems to me that having children, not having children, having a smaller family, having a bigger family. like These are difficult decisions all the time, but especially in 2023, 
when we are bombarded with weather events, when we're bombarded with doom and gloom climate headlines. And so it seems to me that the family planning conundrum comes down to having hope. Like, do you have hope that humanity can get us out of this mess or not? How hopeful are you? The Amanda talking on this podcast is hopeful, but the Amanda having real talk with my best friends is not very hopeful, but that doesn't change how I'm going to live my life. I'm still going to do everything I can that's feasible to be a sustainable minimalist. Callie, same question. Are you hopeful? No. Um, And I don't want to make that sound like I am doom and gloom and we're all doomed. I just, I feel like we live in a world that has proven that we're selfish. And I really worry about how that's going to play out in 50, 100, 150 years. So I want to, but I I will say it's like my best friends and my sister and my family all have these beautiful kids and I so love being a part of their lives. And I think that's my role is my partner and I, we want to be involved and we want to take care of the people that are here and leave our legacy and our impact with our communities and help support folks that have chosen that path, even if we don't choose that path for ourselves. So I am hopeful for the change we can make while we're here, but I don't know if I have hope that we're going to get out of this situation as a whole. I must say, I'm sure you guys are wondering, (laughs) what do you say, Stephanie? Are you hopeful? The answer, uh, so I'll say that my hope, my level of hope ebbs and flows, (laughs) depending on what the news headlines say at the moment. At this moment in time, I will say I'm deeply concerned. My final word for this discussion today, and I'm going to ask you both for your final words as well, but this is a decision. It's a difficult decision. It is difficult decisions week on the podcast. This is a decision that no one can make for another person. It's a personal decision. Whatever decision you make, it's the right decision for your family. So go boldly with your decision, hold on to it tight, and don't waffle. Don't look back. Callie, any final words? I would just encourage folks to just do what you can. I'm a composter. I do as much as I can too. But if you can do what you can, you're going to leave it a little bit better than you walked in. I think back to the your beginning comment also, Stephanie, on how it wasn't really a decision to have a family. It just is what you do. And so if all of us at least have that conscious decision with our partners instead of just doing it because that's what you do, but weigh all the factors, I think that's the way forward so that we have intentional families. I was just going to say, you both said similar things in different ways, but the take-home message is whatever you do, when you do it with intention, you're doing it right. I think that's what we're saying. Whatever you choose to do, just do it with intention. Amanda and Kelly, I want to thank you so much for your time. I enjoyed every minute of talking to you. Thank you. Listeners, that's a wrap. Show notes are at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 405. Quick reminder, Thursday's episode, we're continuing Difficult Decisions Week. I'm bringing you a conversation with two more listeners to this show who have moved because of climate change. Now, I'll just give you a little bit more detail. One of my guests on Thursday, she 
lives in Phoenix, but she purchased a home in a climate haven for if and when she needs it. And my second guest fled a hurricane, moved north, and never went back. So that's Thursday's episode. I will see you then. Reach out if you need me and take care.